Hello and welcome to Cinemaholics, where we review the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. One of us is a film critic, one is a casual moviegoer, and the third person is me, your host, John Agroni from the Internet, California. And on the show today, we have from the Internet, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He's also a freelance film critic for The Playlist, Cut Print Film, Too Many Websites to Count. It's Will Ashton. Hello. And from the Broadband Basement, he is our sound producer and casual moviegoer, best known for successfully going four plus years without seeing Thor The Dark World or The Incredible Hulk at Soundmaster Maverick Hines. Wait, you didn't tell me you were going to slightly make fun of me as part of your intro again. I said successfully went <laughs> in four plus years. Yeah, it's not like those movies are really worth seeking out, Maverick. All yeah, right, fine, I'll take it. I'll take it. You just basically said you succeeded in not seeing very average films. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's my specialty. It's the best I can come up with. Uh, this week, we are doing a double feature episode, which means we're going to be doing two full reviews of two big wide releases. We're going to be discussing Venom. Uh, this is the latest Sony film. Uh, it's like an anti-hero spinoff of the Spider-Man movies. And we're also going to be talking about A Star is Born, the fourth remake of uh, uh very, third remake right uh yeah you're right third, third remake, remake it's the fourth, fourth overall film yeah uh the fourth time somebody has gone with this story that began 1937 uh that is the bradley cooper and lady gaga film and then after our double feature we are going to be airing our exclusive interview with joe morton legendary actor uh he stars a new show called god friended me so you can listen to our conversation with him he uh talked about some of his favorite films talked about his career and why you might want to go check out god friended me uh, we were going to consider talking about Hate You Give. We did a mini review for it last week. Will, you talked about it. But mm-hmm. uh, things kind of changed. It's now going to be hitting wide release on October 19th, the same weekend as Halloween. So we're going to be waiting to talk about that film, and we'll be focusing on Venom and A Star is Born instead. Stick around for the end of this episode because we are going to be asking you, our listeners and patrons of the show, what you want to do for next week because, we once again, we might have to do another double feature. So stay tuned for that Let's get into our off topics. Uh, a lot to discuss. First of all, thank you all of our patrons who voted in our patron poll to decide how to do this week's episode. So if you didn't listen last week, it was between Venom and A Star is Born. We weren't sure if we wanted to do a double feature to talk about both films. We weren't sure if we wanted to, like which one to do first, basically. And you all decided, and it wasn't unanimous. Um, interestingly enough, this usually tends to be unanimous. Uh, but thank you, all, everybody who partook in that. You voted for Venom to be the first review we do this week. And uh, if you want to take part in our Patreon poll, uh, just check out our Patreon. It's in the show notes. And uh, Maverick, I think we have a new patron um, since last week. Uh, what about that? Yeah, we do. Uh, thank you, Roman. I think it's Roman M, right? If that's, yeah. yeah. Thank you for uh, making it so John can afford to feed me better meals uh, from the basement. <laughs> it's really nice to be upgraded from, you know, kind of the old rice. Like I got, I got a protein this week, which was good. So it's always oh, good nice. to be taken care of. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't listen last week, uh, Maverick made it. He put out the plea for some better living conditions. And uh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, like a light thank switch. You, like, I mean, just give me anything, you know? Um, also, uh, for all of our patrons, if you're listening to this episode pretty soon, you're going to be getting access to our newest bonus episode. Uh, we're doing our happy hour series, which is uh, more like one-on-one conversations about relevant topics. And this week's happy hour is coming out later this week. It's called, Is Pixar in Decline? Uh, that Pixar animation, it's 
such a such a fascinating discussion we had. Uh, we had a lot of input too. Um, I had that conversation with TJ Wolsis. Uh, he's the founder, co-founder of PixarPost.com. Uh, also a dear friend. We talked about Pixar for a little over an hour. It was an awesome conversation. Uh, you, everybody will get access to that episode later this week. But if you are a patron, you'll get it uh, quite a bit early. So check out our Patreon to see our rewards tiers and how you can get access to that. Okay, and uh, Will, uh, speaking of perks, uh, tell us about a bonus, another bonus episode that we're going to be doing in the very near future. Yeah, so our patron, DeWitt, was able to uh, request a film that he wanted us to review based on his very generous donation, which we talked about last week. Uh, initially, it was going to be You Were Never Really Here, I believe, which is a film we both really like, and ultimately he decided to go with a different film, which is the Hateful Eight, obviously the Quentin Tarantino film from a couple years ago. So it's going to be interesting. I haven't seen that film since uh, I first saw it back when it came out. Yeah, and, January uh, 2016, I think. Was uh, when it hit yeah, wide December is, I believe, when I saw it. So Yeah, that's I when the December, screening started. Yeah, I think I saw it in December of 2015. So yeah, I'll be curious to see it again. I mean, uh, I, I don't know how it's going to hold up on at home actually no i think i've seen it twice already so it'll be the third time i've seen oh, it Oh, nice yeah i've so, only seen it the one time and it was at the 70 millimeter road show and yeah, so i am I curious how it's going to play like on a smaller screen yeah i'll be very curious to revisit it as well yeah maybe we'll finally get multiple intermissions um although i have to say <laughs> as a little tease for when we're going to do this we, by the way we don't know if we're going to do like a bonus episode it might be part of the main show we'll figure out as we go but uh uh, I think that's going to be interesting because I remember that movie, like I didn't even want the intermission. I just wanted it to keep going, which is hmm. definitely not. Yeah, I know. We'll talk about it. We'll get there. I, no, I, no. I mean, I, I agree. But at the same time, like, especially when I saw 2001, the remastered version, they had mm-hmm. the intermission. It was just so nice to have that like cushion where you could just kind of like ease back into the movie mm-hmm. again, especially for long ones like that. I wish yeah. Infinity War had a intermission. Truth be told. We so. definitely can agree there. Um, yeah, same length as uh, 2001. I looked that up. Huh. Uh, oh, one last off topic before we head into our double feature. Uh, I was on a podcast called Sequel Rights this week. Uh, have you ever heard of Sequel Rights? They Their whole thing is like they talk about franchises. very similar to what the Anyway That's All I Got crew does. But uh, we talked about Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue. Uh, that was a very, very fascinating discussion, um, kind of about the Brave Little Toaster franchise in general, but really focusing on this weird sequel. It was a blast. We we talked about a very weird, so bad it's good movie for like an hour, and uh, definitely check it out. It's a it's a uh, fun conversation. You'll you'll hear me go a little nuts in uh, certain parts of that episode, but uh, that's called Sequel Rights, and it's live right now. But let's get into our double feature. We are going to talk about Venom first. This is a new wide release from Sony. Uh, it's kind of it's like one part of their overall package of Spider-Man content that they've been rolling out uh, for like the past year. We had the Spider-Man video game. We had Spider-Man Homecoming last year in association with Marvel. This is another association movie, and it's coming right before their Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie, uh, which is the animated film that's going to be hitting theaters in December. So this is a, a kind of an anti-hero spin-off. It was directed by Ruben Fleischer, uh, best known probably for Zombieland, 30 Minutes or Less, and Gangster Squad, uh, directing that film. And the screenplay is from Scott Rosenberg, Jeff Pinkner, and Ken- Kelly Marcel. 
And it tells the story of Eddie Brock, uh, best known as one of the antagonists of Peter Parker in the Spider-Man comics. He's played here by Tom Hardy. And uh, the cast also includes Michelle Williams and Jenny Slate, Riz Ahmed, uh, quite a few others. And uh, I definitely don't want to give away there's an appearance from one actor uh, that you probably don't want to look up if you're already planning on seeing this film. Uh, who makes an appearance in one of the post-credits. Yeah, scenes. Um, before Warren. It's pretty high up on the IMDb page, too, I mm-hmm. found out. But uh, Venom, this is a movie that, uh, you know, before we get into it, and I'll turn it over to you, Will Ashton. Uh, oh, boy. This, this is one people have been <laughs> dreading for a while, uh, but also a lot of people are really excited about it. Uh, and I'm seeing, a lot of, uh, I'm seeing a lot of reactions that have surprised me in some ways with this film. Where do you stand? Yeah, so I guess going into it, I wasn't that optimistic because I just never really understood the conceit of making a Venom movie without Spider-Man. Like, it just, it's a very odd idea. And it's kind of like when they made the Catwoman movie without Batman. It's just sort of an odd idea. But, uh, you know, I went with open mind, hoping for the best. It was apparent that Sony just really wants to nudge their way into the MCU as much as they can. And I think that was the conceit behind the film but i wanted to go in optimistic hoping for the best you know like a like kind of like a throwback silly uh like uh comic book adaptation from yesteryear and ultimately the film is basically what i expected in the sense that it's just a mess uh you can i for me i think it's really apparent that the film was going to be r at one point because it's very bloodless uh it's very much like the type of film that feels sanitized as far as what its content is going to be. And I have a feeling that a lot of the early stuff was probably reshot because it just doesn't have that much energy or vision behind it. And as and as you go through the plot, it just kind of gets more and more uh, incoherent and uh, careless in its approach to the point where you don't really get invested in the plot at all. It's just your kind of typical uh, body horror film without much of the horror involved. But the thing that kind of kept me... I don't know if it would be interested or engaged or whatever the word would be is Tom Hardy's performance, which is just just so weird and out there in a way that's kind of typical of him, but and also not very typical of him. Uh, it's a lot broader than his normal performances, and it's a lot more overtly comedic, which I would normally welcome, except I just don't really know what he was going for. I'm more just curious what type of film he thought he was making. Because I think he said that, like, all the takes he preferred or were not in the film. Like, this isn't really the performance he preferred. He said about 40 minutes were cut. Yeah, so I, I think he, that was the initial comment that he clarified that it was, like, it didn't, he didn't mean, like, certain scenes, but so much as, like, the way certain scenes were shot and whatnot were not how he would have liked the film to have been. Uh, so I'm very curious as to what he would have wanted this movie to be. And at the same time, I feel like that version of the film would have been much more enjoyable because it would have more character and personality. Mm. But at the same time, I was regularly entertained by how ridiculous this movie is in a like fun, bad sort of way. But I think those sporadic moments of entertainment were, as I said, fairly sporadic. Okay. And so, uh, yeah. all right. Maverick Hines, um, you saw this one with me. And uh, I'm just curious. I mean, we've had a little bit of time to sit on it. Uh, where do you stand at this point? Um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I I I wanted this to be more, but 
I don't think I expected it to be anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I mean, John, you and I were like driving to the movie. We're both like, man, we really wish we could be doing, I don't know, like anything else right now. Like than driving to go see Venom at the moment. Like, I don't know. I think either of us were very excited. Like, and now it's right there. Yeah. Like we could go anywhere. We have a car. We can go anywhere. <laughs> see, I was kind of the opposite. I was actually looking forward to this in a fun, bad sort of way going in. Like, I was hoping. Just see how yeah. ridiculous is this going to be? Yeah, and, and like I knew there was definitely some potential for it to be one of those movies where it's like it's so bad that it's entertaining and funny and stuff like that. And like I feel like this lived in this special, special little world where it was as bad as movies that can be so bad they're funny, but like it never got to the point where it was funny for me. Um, so I don't know. Like I feel like a lot of the time I was just being like, "Wait, what? Like, is this happening? Like, what's going on?" And um. I just I don't know that this movie didn't really have anything or anyone to carry it into like forgivable territory for me. There was nothing that was like, oh, that was cool. At least like at least there's that. Like I don't have a lot to hold on to for. Well, I really enjoyed this part, or I really enjoyed that performance, or anything like that. It's just like none of the characters made sense. None of the motivations made sense. Venom wasn't who Venom is, and like just none of it worked for me. And you like the Venom comics, right? Like, yeah, you, I've read a couple of yeah. them, and like I, Venom's always been one of my kind of like my favorite. I, like, as you guys know, I'm not the hugest like comic book nerd. You know, like this isn't my you know thing by any means. But like, I've always been a big like Venom guy. Like, I've always thought that was cool. Well, and, uh, I have a question then. Do you prefer like kind of like the darker, grittier version, or like the more like overtly comedic version of Venom? Because I heard there's like kind of two versions of them. Yeah, I, I honestly like both because I think they both serve purpose. Knowing, I, I definitely lean more towards like the gritty, kind of like darker stuff, right? Okay. So like this, you know, this is definitely not that as far as the film goes. But like, I'd like the comedic versions as well because I think they serve a really good purpose. And like, was it the like one of the first Spider-Man video games where like Venom is like messing with spider-man in a library and it's like really funny for like 10 minutes like i really enjoy that stuff um it's a really obscure random reference with no backbone so enjoy yeah that. well <laughs> i mean we should also reference that this is the first time we've seen venom i mean he was obviously in spider-man 3 and i think people were willing to compare this version to that one and i don't know where do you guys stand on that as far as well, I'll let you wrap uh, up your thoughts, Maverick. Because yeah, uh, sorry. yeah, I, I, and sorry, I know. Maverick. No, that's all good. It's all good. Um, I know that I'm being kind of weird and vague about it. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much or anything. I don't think we're doing a spoiler review, so I don't go yeah. too far into it. But I just, it just wasn't there for me. And one of my biggest issues was, um, and will I think you touched on this too? It's just Tom Hardy's performance was really, really weird. I thought it was weird how he spent like most of his kind of like his individual you know scenes where he's talking a lot as just like this weird whisper talk voice that was really dumb and like didn't make sense for the context of yeah. the scenes a lot of the time and i just didn't like it like he would be in a very intense situation and like do this funny whisper joke and it was just like that's not what he's um, like a new york brooklyn junkie yeah which is weird because he's supposed to be this like community hero and he right was, like no one was ever excited to see him he'd be like hey like, per- person i know they'd be like oh hey what's up buddy hey <laughs> man hey you have no charisma you should be on tv yeah so so yeah i won't ramble too long but that's that's kind of where i'm at with it yeah and uh we'll we'll get to spider-man 3 i guess but you know just kind of summing things up i i hate this film i i think this is what? garbage and it's a nothing movie and i despise it like i absolutely despise the fact that they made it the fact that tom hardy and michelle williams who are two of our best actors wasted their time they could have been making something much better and this is one of those films where it's like you know it 
it, a lot of my criticisms ring from probably Batman v Superman. Uh, the main one being the editing. It, it's it's a very incoherent thing where plot holes are just to be expected. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I, I guess I've never been that big of a fan of Venom, especially compared to you, Maverick. I've always thought he's only a very interesting, uh, like you said, Will, like when Spider-Man is a factor. I think that he's popular because of his design, not really because of any storylines they've ever attributed to him. Um, Eddie Brock has always just sort of been a foil to Peter Parker. And when I can respect the idea that you you do something new with it. Like, I love the idea of like graphic novels that explore the Venom character and give him something new to do. But when watching this movie, it it was like trying to to make the Punisher, uh, and then kind of mix in things from better movies that just don't make sense to me. Like the, like you said, the motivations don't make any sense, and also, it, it I, I see I see what people are saying. Like they had fun with how bad it is. Like one of those kinds of movies. I didn't have any fun at all, mainly mm-hmm. because I just felt like the movie was begging me to laugh at it. The whole time, mm-hmm. like not the whole time, but really when Venom starts talking to him and it, it just made me feel gross for like a movie that was like sort of wearing on its sleeve of like, you know, in post-production, you could tell they were like, okay, this thing isn't very good. So that they add in all this ADR, you know, to try to fix problems, probably from some early focus test screenings, like, you know, from little things from like saying symbiote instead of symbiote, you can tell that they added that in in post-production because people were complaining rightfully. Uh, you can tell that no, they, they should have. They should have kept the original version. I think I would have. That would have made me uh, so annoyed. I well, it's really? like the it's like the last Airbender all over again. Um, yeah, it's you know I, I that was one thing I'm glad that they actually did. But like I'm more referring to things that they did to try to like wave away things of like what are Venom's weaknesses and you know the third act yeah. which takes like five to ten minutes compared to the second act which is like thirty. And then it, it, there, there's such a disjointed mess in here that, like, I get some people are looking at it and they're like, yeah, but you can just laugh at it. You can have a good time sort of relishing in its badness. And I didn't because there is nothing here, that, not even the bad stuff that I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in here that was, like, different. It, it was all just other movies doing this way better. You know, I, I would say if you're considering Venom, go watch Upgrade instead. Like with Lee Winnell's movie, the guy even mm-hmm. looks a lot like yeah. Tom Hardy, uh, uh, Logan Marshall Green, right? Yep. That that film is doing the only things in Venom that I think have any energy to them are when Tom Hardy and Venom, the symbiote, are actually like talking to each other, and you know. But it's mm-hmm. written so poorly. Whereas I remember an upgrade; it was written so much better. Oh, it was yeah. so much more interesting and dynamic, and there was a, there was actually like a message there. There was actually like a a tug, a push and pull. Here, it's lifeless. It's bland. Well, you talk about this a lot of like, you at least can appreciate when a movie like provokes a reaction from you. Like you feel like it has a courage of its convictions. It actually is taking a side on something. This to me reeks of nothingness. There's nothing here at all. And yeah, it's very sterile. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and mainly because it's been hacked to pieces. And mm-hmm. I'm really annoyed that this thing is making so much more money than it deserves to because they just lowered down the PG-13 rating. You could, you had a chance here to have an R-rated film that actually does what the poster is promising. The world has enough superheroes, right? You do an actual anti-hero movie or just make him a villain. That. But we did that already, though. We had Deadpool. That's right. That's right. He's more of an anti-hero. And whereas like with Venom, you have the opportunity to do an R-rated villain movie. Sure. And they completely wimped out. Yeah. They made Venom there was, there this was cookie no, cutter. 
I'll just, I'll just finish. Sorry. They made a bad villain even worse. I guess. Is I was, was going to say like they, there was no, even kind of semblance of like an antihero. Like there was never an antihero in this movie. <laughs> like it was all like he was just like an angry guy, and then it was like oh it's a superhero movie, and it was a bad one. And like that's what yeah. really bothered me. It's like Venom is supposed to be this kind, like you said. And then the villain we do get Riz Ahmed again, another fantastic actor who is yeah. just squandered, yeah. you know, is just this evil scientist to be evil. You know, they're doing this kind of like ethnic Elon Musk thing. And that had weird undertones to it. And my biggest thing with this movie, and the reason why I am not just like in C level, I'm in D level with this nearing an F mainly because what this movie says about gentrification and like the homeless population is so messed up <laughs> and it's so tone deaf and it doesn't, it raises all of these big questions of like ethics and then does nothing to rectify them at all. It is, it's garbage. It's absolute garbage in its messaging. But, I, have a, yeah. I have a random question before I forget. Um, is this what San Francisco looks like? Basically. Yeah. It really? Because uh, it looked like, out. sometimes it looked like New York and then sometimes it looked like Atlanta. Well, that's yep. San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco uh, is a very diverse city. Like it, every neighborhood looks very different from the other. I mean, I know it's not like the Golden Gate Bridge everywhere. It's not like the room. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, I just wasn't sure if that's what it actually looked like or not. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, and that's it, pretty they, they do. You, you can tell that they shot on location in some parts, a lot of parts, probably. Uh, you can definitely tell some parts were probably Georgia, Atlanta they were doing. But mm-hmm. they did capture the look and feel of certain neighborhoods. You go to the Tenderloin, it is kind of like seedier parts of New York. Yeah. If you go to you know Pacific Heights, it's a lot like what Michelle Williams' apartment is like. Mm-hmm. You know, the pier is, looks extremely different from downtown. Uh, but Ant Man did a better job of this, probably, <laughs> of like kind of capturing the vibe of the city. Here, it's just a little kind of all over the place. But I don't give it any faults for the location stuff. It's all just okay. fine. I was just curious because I know you guys live there, so I wasn't. I wasn't too sure about the geography of the of the world. So totally, I'm totally glad you could clear that up. Um, well, uh, you know, we, we've talked about the Tom Hardy performance. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. We, we, I, I obviously really hate this film, but what's your yeah. reaction to that? I mean, do you? What do you think of like the whole like people having fun with this movie? Do you think that's valid? Well, I don't know. I mean, I I am somewhere in between you and the people who are having fun with it because I didn't hate it, but I definitely found myself more annoyed by it than not. Especially the first like third of the film, like the first 40 minutes were very annoying to me because it was just like you said, it's like very like sterilized. It's very like just going through the motions, nothing of character or notes or vision behind it. It just like studio expectations of what this movie should be. Mm-hmm. And then when Venom gets involved, I was kind of having fun with it. Like the restaurant scene... I was actually enjoying myself quite a bit just as far as how ludicrous it was and just how much it changed the pace of the film to actually have a little bit of life with it. And I think the first fight in the uh, apartment building is fairly enjoyable. But other than that, like uh, besides a couple weird things, like there's a scene with a dog and then there's a, a female Venom. I can't say too much more. And they're just ridiculous enough that I'm like, OK, I can kind of get into the bad, fun, bad area with this. But yeah, ultimately, I'm somewhere in between that those two uh viewpoints of the film i'd say yeah i think at that point i was just so too like clocked out that i couldn't in- even enjoy the weird insanity of it sure. especially like i don't know but the whole thing with uh i just want venom dog that's all i want <laughs> well i mean, i got some serious mask vibes there but um yeah well i was gonna bring that up but yeah go ahead 
No, I was just going to say, like, speaking of, like, Michelle Williams in here, I mean, it did sort of strike me so much as, like, you look at the movie Ant-Man, and it, it it's easy to compare these two movies because you kind of have this, like, main character who's basically a good person who, like, makes some mistakes, right? Um, you know, ruined relationship with a blonde woman who starts up a relationship with another person, and they all sort of get along for some reason. And it, you, you have, like, kind of the Ant-Man setup. It's even in San Francisco. But like I, I feel like I understand and know so much more of the Judy Greer character in Ant Man than I do the Michelle Williams character because she is I think so. There's nothing you really just don't get a sense of like who she is, what she wants. It's just a, it's like that uh, that trope of like we know her job title and her name and the fact that the main character, it, she's like his object of affection. I would say they're about equally lacking in development, but. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Michelle Williams, she deserves so much better than this. She is such a talented actress. Like you said, she is easily one of the best actresses working today. And like just a stock girlfriend character. Come on. Has she it's... been in a franchise that has... I believe it's her first time. And to well, her credit, I think she Oz says the that... Great and Powerful. And... Yeah, that's true. And she was she was actually pretty good in that one, from what I remember. But yeah. I think she said that she wanted to do this to like kind of earn a little more like money so she could like produce some other projects, like indies she wanted to do. Yeah. Which I think is really commendable, but the sad thing is that she might get strapped to this franchise for like three films, which mm. is a shame. I don't see her coming back for the next one. Poor Jenny Slate is so yeah, just she's not good in this. I'm, I love Jenny Slate. I love Jenny Slate so much, and she's just like she looks so confused. She throughout it, this whole movie. <laughs> I, I could not get over it. She's like the head scientist, right? She's supposed to, and then she's like also, hey, your interviews in five minutes. You're not a secretary. You're like the head scientist. Act like it. Like, why is this movie relegating her to? It, it, it's just little things. It's yeah. little things like that that I was just was like, th- this movie is. It feels like it was made in 1999 and not 2018. I mean, it just it baffles the mind. The fact that he lives in San Francisco, sorry, unemployed for six months, and he has that right. apartment. How do you afford? Even if you worked in like entertainment and all that, he was living with somebody else, by the way, like. Rent for that apartment in he San Francisco. He was living with a lawyer. That's like <laughs> who was yeah. probably paying most of his rent. Right. <laughs> like, that that apartment he was living in easily would be about five grand a month. Yeah. And he was like, the here, lowest, take a twenty. At the you know, lowest, like, it's four thousand dollars a month. <laughs> like for a studio, though. Yeah. Like that wasn't even a studio because he had a bathroom in there. Yeah, it was a nice. There was nicer was than the apartment, apartment we live in right now. Like <laughs> you, yeah. you just no. Like this is sorry. That was just absurd to me. And like I, that was one thing I couldn't get over. But it did feel like they had to a, have yeah. it that way. He also lives next to somebody who lives alone. It's like forget that. Like this dude has six roommates. None of them speak English. Yeah. I want to see that movie. Yeah. That would have like, been yeah. hilarious. Him going through Venom transition yeah. in a room full of software engineers, being like, "Can you keep it down? I'm trying to like right. survive, please." That's San Francisco, and like you have an opportunity there because like they raise gentrification up, yeah. and that's such a real issue that's actually affecting people. The homeless population in San Francisco is such a big deal, and this movie jokes about it. And then when they they sort of make it the plot line, they basically say the symbiotes can't survive off of these people because they're not as good as like these healthy people. Yeah, like. Come on, strong people. Oh, it it just—it was so insulting because it's a real problem for us, and like for a comic book movie to dip its toes in that, I—I was very, very. Venom, Venom's just a gold digger, man. He just wanted a a rich, a rich, healthy white guy to bond with. (laughs) Sorry, well, we've been—we've just been yelling and kicking and screaming. Um, let's get into our final thoughts. I want to hear from the level-headed Will Ashton on this one. 
Yeah, so, I mean, you brought up uh, the mask, and that reminded me that I think there are two ways you could... If you had to do a Venom movie, which Sony, Sony apparently thought was a necessity, <laughs> if you had to do a Venom movie, there's, like, two ways of doing it, right? There's, like, the massive version you're talking about, right, where it's, like, kind of goofy and over-the-top and silly, and, like, he kind of takes on this alternate persona, and he goes wild with it. Or you can do, like, the body horror, like, David cronenberg S way, which I think would have been more fun, especially if they had made that oh, in, yeah. like, 1999. 1999 or like 2004 wherever this mm. movie feels like it's from uh <laughs> it's the first like, movie i've seen in imax in a long time that actually matches that really dated imax intro yeah oh yeah john, yeah, john and like, i had like a really long conversation after the movie trying to decide what year this movie should have came out like was it before <laughs> spider-man one after spider-man right. two like, I, I think 2003 is like the year it feels like it's from for me at least uh like just based on the technology and stuff that's employed in this film but uh, yeah, it seems like the movie tried to take both like ideas, like very comedic and very, uh, very like straight by horror, and like they just didn't mesh together. And this all the studio interference is very apparent to the point where it just feels like it's like a neutered film. It's a shame. Like there's all these talented actors, and you just feel nothing throughout the film for the most part. And I did have a little bit of fun. And I did enjoy Tom Hardy's performance more than I didn't. But as it stands, yeah, it's just it's just not a good film. So I'm gonna give it a fairly charitable c minus but uh yeah I, I i'm very curious to see here like what this production was like because i don't know what the original version was but i have to imagine it was at least a little better than what we got right right i i just sat on to that um there there was so much here that i guess you could have there was just no story here there's no character here there is a moment toward the third act. The third act is somehow even worse where it, it really commits that sin of like the villain is just a slightly bigger worse version just a um, meaner looking like yeah such an uninteresting action scene after a, yeah a car chasing that's not terrible but it's it goes on a little bit too long and involves suicide drones for some reason that you really could have just cut out um yeah there was there was some like practical effects that were like kind of goofy but like in not a bad way actually <laughs> like uh, i can see why some people had some fun moments in that but you were gonna say well no, I was gonna say that that CG fight at the end, it, it has very like Transformers vibes where I could just yeah. barely tell, especially because it's at night, who is who and what's going on. Yeah, that that, that whole climax scene was just a mess. Yeah, um, all that to say, uh, yeah, I, I really hate this movie. Um, I think part of it can be summed up by like my, my experience watching it wasn't great. We saw it IMAX 3D, and the 3D was terrible. Oh, it God. was like double vision. It wasn't it wasn't aligned correctly. Also yeah. 20, 25 minutes in, somebody came in, sat right next to me. It's reserved seating, so I couldn't move. You're still on about this guy? I'm so mad about this. <laughs> this guy ate a sandwich during the entire movie. He it was, he it, it took him forty minutes it was to a, eat the first sandwich. It was a smelly sandwich. It was disgusting. It smelled like somebody put tuna in like an In-N-Out burger. Did, did I just walk into an episode of Seinfeld? What's going on now? <laughs> this is real. I, I, you guys are probably noticing a theme at some point, but the AMC that we go to for most of our movie going has We're some convinced this is the guy from Happy Time Murders that was like showed up as well kind of late. That's what movie it was, yeah. Yeah. Oh, not not the other guy. Yeah, he was just and he kept doing this thing where he, like every time something would happen, he'd be like, "Hmm." <laughs> I don't know why. I just wanted who eats a sandwich for 40 minutes? Yeah. I'm and pretty, then eats another one 15 minutes later for another 40 minutes until after showing ends. up like 20 minutes late. Well, I, I look forward uh, to Sandwich Guy coming on next episode <laughs> so we can talk about his etiquettes and theater-going experiences. So It was very frustrating. Uh, Maverick Hines, uh Oh, yeah. Sorry. I gave this movie a D. 
um, a couple of bouts of interesting moments, I guess, here and there. It's not a, it's not a total failure, but it is a nothing movie. So uh, it rivals the worst film of the year for me. But uh, What is your worst film of the year, by the way? Right now, it's between this one, Red Sparrow, and Night School. Those are the three that have just, nah. Gotcha. Um, but uh, Maverick Hines uh, finishes out. Yeah, no, you guys, you guys have said it all, and I don't want to be too uh, repetitive here, but yeah, it's just, it's a movie that didn't do much of anything for me, didn't have much of an ending, and kind of bummed me out because I was really hoping for that rated R, gritty, dark yeah. Venom movie that I think I deserved. I've earned it. I want it. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, go ahead, Will. No, I was going to say, like, as a fan of the character, do you think a sequel could hone in on what you liked about the character to begin with and improve upon or do you think it's just a lost effort all the way I through? It's possible. I don't think you can save it at this point because like... It, it, we're for, getting more of these. I know, but I mean, for a sequel of this movie, no. If it's a completely new thing, maybe, right? Like, okay. But to be attached to this with these group of people and stuff like that, I, I, don't, I don't know that it can be... Unless they have a new director who's going to write an entirely new script and we're going to have an Eddie Brock that's nothing like the one that we got in the first movie, right? Like, I feel like I mean, it's kind of after we mentioned Incredible Hulk at the beginning of the show. I mean, you recast and then you move on and then it's sort of canon, but you just keep going. Well, that's basically. the thing. I don't I don't necessarily think you need to recast um, Tom Hardy. Like, sure, I, but I, I think mean, you could do it yeah, well. You so like, like, a, like a Deadpool kind of situation where you like do a redo, but you have the same actor? Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I'm right in between you guys. I don't know if D plus is a thing, but like, yeah. I don't think C minus is. I think C minus is too generous, but D is a little too harsh. Because I do think some people will enjoy certain parts of this, right? Like, who aren't going to be as scrutinizing, right? And they're going to be very excited because they don't need a parent or legal guardian to be allowed in. Yeah. Um, and there's a joke where he says the word ass, so everyone really gets to <laughs> laugh. Um, yes. A word there, president is known for saying too, which I was kind of surprised they got away with in a PG thirteen film. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, we're we're definitely not alone on disliking this one. Uh, this one gets so last I checked, it has about a thirty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Average rating is pretty low, four point five out of ten. Um, yeah, just people really not digging it. The cinema score isn't too bad; it's a B plus. Uh, yeah. Which for a comic book film is a little bit lower than usual. Usually, for comic book films are getting like A's and A pluses, but still, I mean, it's not something to shake at. And uh, yeah, uh, we Tom Hardy he's signed on to do two more of these films. So uh, and it's been pretty successful. I think it's hitting a it's going to hit about an eighty million dollar opening weekend. Um, so that we can think? put that aside. Uh, do you think it's going to be in the MCU? Or do you think it's just going to be its own standalone thing at this it point? Could. It could. It could play with the Tom Holland. They have to bring in Spider-Man at some point. And I don't know who else, you know, what other would they, I don't think they would recast Spider-Man. So uh, no. we'll have to wait and see. Uh, maybe maybe they'll bring back uh, Topher Grace and uh, they'll bring back Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Go yeah, that maybe. route. Um, and, uh, you know, we never addressed this. I, I think Spider-Man 3 is an infinitely better take on the character. And it's not even a good take on the character, but it's a much better film, uh, in my opinion. It is indeed. Um, okay, well, that was Venom. We went a little bit longer than planned, but let's let's go into the second part of our double feature. We also saw Star is Born. It's a wide release from Warner Brothers, and it's been hitting the festival circuit the last couple of months to great aplomb. People are really loving this film, and uh, Oscars are in the air for this one. This is directed by actor-slash-filmmaker Bradley Cooper. It's his first feature-length film. Uh, the screenplay, he helped write with Will Fetters, Eric Roth, Irene Mahey, Stephen Revell, and Christopher 
Wilkinson. It's based on the original film, A Star is Born, which uh, came out in 1937. Uh, it was from William A. Wellman. And we've had, this is the fourth film, as we mentioned at the uh, at the uh, the onset. And a lot of people have compared this very much to the 1976 version. So just to go through it, there was a 1954 version with Judy Garland and uh, was it James Mason? And there was a 1976 version with uh, Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. Now, the first two Star is Born films. Well, wait, wasn't there a 30s version? That's the original one. Right? That, I mentioned that one already. Okay, sorry, yeah. my bad. Um, that was the William A. Wellman version. And the first two, the 1937 and the 1954, really focused more on actors. It was more about like people who make movies, you know, the story of like, you know, somebody, uh, somebody who's sort of a veteran actor kind of on the decline finds a, and you know, a talent that's on the rise. That's the, it's like a tragic love story kind of film that they've done ever since the first one. The first two really focused on actresses and actors uh, who were movie stars, you know, it was more about Hollywood and all of that. And part of the reason is because back then those films were musicals for the most part. Uh, Judy Garland, for example, in uh, the 1954 version really, really lays on that dynamic of like what it's like to make a film. But then in 1976, they changed it up because, you know, by the 70s, musicals were really, really like on the way out. They really weren't as big as they used to be. And so it was more about an aging rock star. Uh, played by Chris Christopherson. Um, I forget the actor they were originally supposed to have play for that. I think it was like a Robert Redford, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, Barbara Streisand is in that as well, of course. And it's it's more of like, you know, concerts, you know, stadium concerts. And it's more about musicians dealing with fame. And so a lot of people have compared this new one, this 2018 version with the 1976 version, because they both are, it's like that one, it's about the aging rock star. But I have to say, I really think this film borrows much more from the 1954 film. Maybe we can get into it, but I consider the 1976 film uh, to be just bad. I don't think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a good way to adapt this material. But I think the 2018 film does it much better. It really feels like a real remake of the 76 version in that way, probably. Uh, but again, I think that there's much more of a, a respect and admiration for the Judy Garland version. Uh, I rewatched uh, the 37 film, the 54 film, and the 76 film this week. So I, I have it all pretty fresh in my head. But uh, Will Ashton, I, that, that's quite the lengthy um startup and i should say of course lady gaga uh, stars in this with bradley cooper um a lot of original music in here uh what do you think uh, what do you think of this film and uh how it's playing to uh film critics and audiences right now yeah no i uh was wasn't really sure when it was first announced what to make of this film because obviously we hadn't known uh what bradley cooper could do as a director i wasn't really too familiar with the original versions of uh stars born before i saw this one and uh, it, it just didn't, it wasn't a sure thing. And then when the early buzz was coming in, it was like, oh, yeah, no, this is going to be really good. I was pretty excited, but I kept my expectations fairly moderate just because I, I don't know. There's always a part of me, a nagging sense. I was like, is this really going to be that good? Like, is this really going to live up to those expectations? And sure enough, uh, I believe it did. I don't know if this is going to be a type of film that has like a La Land type backlash. I hope it doesn't, but I could see it being the case. But. As it stands, I really was uh, floored by this film, uh, especially, I think, Bradley Cooper, both as an actor and director, mm. really stands out here. I mean, you could tell from his directing standpoint, he borrows from a lot of the directors he's worked with before. Um, you could see some um, K 
Cameron Crowe in here. You can see a little bit of Clint Eastwood. You can see Todd Phillips, who was a producer on here. Um, you could also see David O. Russell in a good bit. As far as uh, the movie's kind of free-flowing, improvisational feel. Some but James he, Gunn, perhaps? Just joking. Uh, no, I didn't really see any James <laughs> Gunn, truth be told. Total but, joke, total um, joke. Yeah, but um, I mean, my point is that like, it, it's not to say that his vision is like totally unique. But I do think for a first-time director, his his way of commanding like the pacing and tone and how he has like this authentic grittiness to it, especially the way he shoots the concert scenes, which is almost always, I think on the stage, we never see like the audience perspective right. unless like we're looking out. I think it's a, it's a little subtle thing, but it really helps to get you in this world. And I do love that this movie is able to, um, get us in this perspective in a way that doesn't feel like too like tacky or cloying. Cause I can definitely see there's like a million ways this version could have sucked. I think a lot of them would have been like focused on like social media and stuff like that, like kind of like a gem in the holograms version, where it's just like this star is trending, and you see like all these like Twitter users montage stuff like that. The movie doesn't do any of that. It's very much about the humanity of the characters, but does it in a way that is modernized appropriately and focuses on the humanity and the weight of it. And I do think the film's greatest success is knowing that like the key elements need to work, like the acting, the characters, the romance, the chemistry between them capturing all that while also making you feel invested in it even when you know what's going to happen like even though i haven't seen the other versions you kind of know what's going to happen but you still get enthralled in that that journey and then that final moment hits and it does it's really affecting and i i credit that all to bradley cooper but i also want to uh, uh, celebrate lady gaga who is fantastic here i i do think she has a very good chance of uh making an impression at the oscars uh as a musician and as an actress uh sam elliott who's always great is fantastic in this film probably one of his best performances to date and uh even uh andrew dice clay does a pretty good job who surprisingly figured, yeah yeah uh, well he was uh, he was pretty good in blue jasmine but um yeah he, he he proves himself as well i mean i think it's just a surprisingly like almost unreasonably very good film <laughs> yeah i i one of the things that i adore about this film is its authenticity when it deals with what fame is and how people deal with it. Uh, I really recognize that as the through line of this in a way that I don't think any of the other stars born films have really reckoned with. You really see it more in the 1954 version. Um, but it's obviously a very different film because it's dealing with like, you know, people changing their names to be a star, you know, and mm-hmm. making compromises here. There's much more of like the whole people feel when they get off stage. I know a lot of people watching this movie probably aren't ever going to deal with what Bradley Cooper's character and what Lady Gaga's characters are going through because they're not going to be selling out rock shows and and dealing with these really poignant scenes where it's loud and it's crowded and then it moves into this isolation right afterward. And it's been a while since I think I've seen a film really capture that pain and loneliness when you recognize that a lot of people like you or like your art, but you still feel kind of empty inside. Um, This film kind of spoke to me on some levels of like, you know, being somebody who puts things out all of the time and like people kind of assume that you're a very, you know, a person who's got it all together, but you know, there is this sort of like achiness to it. And uh, I really adore how this film delivers that in a very empathetic way. So even if you're someone who has no idea what these characters, like I have no idea what it would be like to be Jackson Maine or, you know, to be Allie, but I empathize with them and I, I see exactly why they're going through what they're going through. And it's, it, that, that really, I think is a triumph of this movie, especially in the way I've seen a lot of complaints about how the first half 
It's very enthusiastic. Uh, it's it's very like it's joyous and it's triumphant and it really captures the rise to fame. And then a lot of people say, "Well, I got bored in the second half." Uh, it kind of wanes on, and I'm like, "That is the point. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what they're going for." And I think that's what makes it works work so well because that is that that's what downfall feels like. It, you can't match the energy of the first half, and I'm really glad they didn't try to with gimmicks and other things that you alluded to. Will, um, so yeah, I, I think this is a pretty good movie. Um, Maverick Hines, you you are our sound producer. You are the music guy. Um, we pigeonholed you into that. Uh, and so I really, you know, I've been fascinated with your take on this from not just the music involved. I really want yep. to hear your opinion on that. But you or, know, uh, Sam Elliott of the group. <laughs> That's right. You don't have to do the, the voice. Please don't actually. I can't. I couldn't go that like my voice doesn't go that well, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, this I, I was pretty like not responsive when we left the theater like i didn't really have an opinion right then i think it took me a few days to kind of process this film but um i i think this i think this is a truly truly great movie i i I really enjoyed it now this isn't going to be like i don't know it's hard to i I don't have a comparison movie but this isn't going to be something where i'm like holy cow this was so great let's watch this right now like i want to sit down and watch this movie right like i don't really have the the biggest desire in the world to like rewatch it right away so it's not that kind of movie where i think it's great but i think you said a lot of it well i think the way that this 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 film represents the music industry as a whole i think is is great you know this kind of like yeah, I, 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 the stuff I want to talk about, I might give stuff away, so I'm trying to be careful here. But just as kind of like, you know, we see two sides of it, right? We see this kind of shallow, empty, like let's just make this shallow. person a star, <laughs> ha ha ha, um, <laughs> like pop culture music, and then you see kind of like the entitled pretentious side of like the true rock stars right and like and i love that you see this these different levels of musicians and stuff like that because i don't think a lot of people understand how different it is to be a jackson main kind of musician versus an alley right like a lady gaga versus a dave grohl right like it's and, and i really appreciated that that take because i don't think a lot of people see it um and, and obviously you know, I, I thought the music was great. And, you know, my biggest complaint from like Smallfoot a couple weeks ago was like, oh, I was critiquing chorus and verse transition, right? Because like I was getting way too into it. But like this, this music was great. And the most important for me about the music was like, I think in movies about rock stars and stuff like that and about musicians, the music often can be good, but it's never consistent, right? Like in the beginning of a movie, we have a rock star who does this music. And by the end of the movie, he's a country guy and no one ever talks about that change, right? Mm-hmm. And I love that even though part of the story is growing and changing in music for, for Ali that Jackson's like rock star status and who he is and like kind of his music didn't change very much. Like it was all, he was always just like this, this guy and like he was doing his thing and he's like, always been authentic. Yeah. And so he demands that from other people. Yeah. He's always like, yeah. And, and I really, really like that. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I had a lot of fun with this, this movie. Um, and I think it's, like you said very well like you know the second half it's not as happy it's not as you know like what's going on it was so fun in the beginning and like i think <laughs> that's when the movie gets good for me like the the beginning kind of montage you know happy joyous upswing i wasn't as sold in i mean lady gaga seeing la and rose in a drag bar was i was worried because i was like this could be where the film peaks <laughs> and fortunately it wasn't yeah um bradley cooper's performance was fantastic i, th- I think he did really really truly great lady gaga was surprisingly good i knew she was i mean like i 
you can't deny her. That's how good she is. Yeah, you. We weren't expecting a bad performance, but how good the performance is, it's still surprising that she has the range that she has. Yeah, yeah, and that's not what I was going to say. What I say is like, you know, I had no doubt in my mind that her music, you know, her Mm -hmm. music scenes were going to be fantastic. She's she's one of the most talented singers and musicians like doing things right now. She's she's phenomenal. but I thought I thought her acting performance was also really really good, and and I'm I'm glad that she kind of took the sleep. She talks a lot in rev- like when she's doing interviews about this about, you know, one of the lines is like Jackson Maine says you just gotta trust me, and she said Bradley Cooper was just like just trust me and I'll do this for you, and I think it really paid off, and it seems like they've kind of got like a, a good friendship going now because of it. But I think she did really good in this movie. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned you know. It's it's a there's a vision here, and I think that's the first surprise. You know, it may not be the most unique, but I have to echo what you're saying because just the fact that this movie has the courage to repeat a song that came up in the first half, just to sort of demonstrate the tedium of like always doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right, which is um, I yeah. think it's a carryover from the '70s version. To be fair. But I agree. The I '70s mean, version is so bad, though, because the '70s I version I, I does not have. It. It does not have a likable main character. He is That's just true, a yeah. terrible person, and it, he's toxic, and he's the, the, it's such a he's so vain. Like all of the moments in here that you should understand. And I don't think any of the Star Wars Born films have done a good job of justifying why the main character, the main guy, has a substance yeah. addiction. Here, oh, there actually yeah. is a purpose behind it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, it does a very good job of getting that key element, which is make us sympathize with the male lead above all else. I mean, just really getting to know him on a personal level without making it like cloying or like uh, overly sentimental. Like you really understand him as a person. I think that's yeah. uh, it's really a tra- great triumph of the film. Yeah. So, but keep going. All I'll say with that is like not to give anything away, but the final moment that you kind of mentioned, uh, I think works here much better you can't really it's hard to compete with the showstoppers of the 1954 version the film is a gem i recommend everybody go check it out it's probably the best of these films but my goodness like uh, this this all on filmstruck. It, yeah all of the they, they are now on all, uh, all on filmstruck uh including the 37 version which is very good as well um but this one this one has a set piece in it. Yes, it's absurd. Yes, it doesn't make any sense that it could be possible that they could improv this song um, after knowing each other a day. But it, it is it is such a feel-good moment that, you know, the intensity is matched by the enthusiasm of the actors, and it's just a thrill to see. I'm glad that the trailers really, you know, gave us that sell because the come down is worth the rest of it. And I do think the final moment is probably the best balance between, you know, Jackson Maine and Norman Maine and whatever, all of these characters, you really have to balance a very a tough dynamic of like, is what they're doing noble, you know, is what they're doing a good thing or is it a bad thing? And uh, I think this film's final song, you know, wraps up so well that I think, uh, you know, it almost feels like a remake that makes the 54 and 37 version even better in my eyes. I feel like they all kind of fit together even nicer than before. So I really appreciate it on that level. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the, the greatest tribute of the film is that it feels like not only like a really good film, but like a really good cover song. Like you, you get what was so great about the original version, but it makes it its own thing. Like they're able to take all these elements that were successful or not in the other versions and just kind of mesh it, but also be like Bradley Cooper's own film. Like he was really involved with all the, all the um, elements of the film. Obviously, we mentioned that he's a director, the actor, he co-wrote the film, but he's also very heavily involved with the actual music. I think he wrote a number of the lyrics and was like very involved with making the music as good as it is in the film. And it, you get that very like homegrown effort 
Mm-hmm. From it was it, all rec- you- the music was recorded live. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. It's all. It was all original. The all the music, the way that even they even do like songs that you've heard before, was original, and it's it's actually him singing and Gaga. Yeah, Gaga sure. Singing. I mean, he and he's a, actually a really good singer. I was I was not expecting that going in. So uh, yeah, I I think you just get this very intimate and very like personal homegrown film that had like there's so many versions. Like I was saying before, there's so many ways this could have sucked. Like, there's so many ways this could have been like a redo that doesn't have any personality or heart to it but it's clear that bradley cooper really put his all into this film he wanted to make a really good version of the story and pay his respects to a great talent with lady gaga while also showcasing himself and i think it's one of the rare times and i was trying to think of other examples of this where i think the an actor gives his best performance under his own direction especially if it's his first time directing which is even more impressive the only other time i can think of off the top of my head where that's happened is orson wells now i'm not saying this is citizen kane but I'm just saying that, like, I mean, that's a that's a hell of a feat for Bradley Cooper. So, yeah, I, I really want people to check it out. I think there are going to be a lot of people to check it out. I feel like this is going to be like a Greatest Showman type hit where people are going to keep watching it over and over again. It's going to stay in theaters for a while. And I'm happy for it. I mean, it's really like it's our biggest award contender, I think, right now and deservedly so. I'm really excited for people to check it out. And what's your uh, grade? Oh, sorry. Uh, a minus. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's one of those crowd pleasers, but with some meat to it, you know, uh, it's a crowd pleaser in the sense that I think it should be, uh, you know, I've said a lot already, but the last thing, last thing I'll mention is I know some people have had issues with, you know, this one being yet another, like pop music is bad and Americana slash country is that's the real stuff. You know, uh, I didn't really get that vibe. I, I really, to me, I think that they danced the line pretty well because it was less about him criticizing the music and more criticizing, you know, uh, Ali in this movie, Lady Gaga, criticizing how she was not really doing, being authentic, how she wasn't really mm-hmm. performing the music that she wanted to perform and sort of that back and forth because she obviously doesn't feel the same way. And uh, that was a tension that I thought was realistic. And I thought yeah. that it was uh, much more true to life than I think some people are giving it credit. And I think there, yeah, there can be, if you're watching the film, I, I would just, definitely caution not to like take it as a pop music is bad or you know a country music is bad. it, it really isn't playing in that territory it really yeah. has a better message behind it i, think. I was gonna say um it, it's it also more the fact that it's not what they were doing together so it's like that disconnect between right. their relationship so it's not really him being critical of pop but the fact that there is a separation in their styles and therefore their relationship together so i agree with what you said yeah i think it works really well um i i give this one a b plus if only because I do think that there, there, it's just a little bit too long. I think that it, it's a little long in the tooth, and it, there were certain things I didn't really get to any of you know issues that I had. But that's mainly because I do think it's it's a, a very solid recommend, and uh, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out where it stands and then the Star is Born filmography. But uh, Maverick Hines, yeah, um, I said a lot. I talked more than normal on my uh, original review there, so I don't want to going too much here um i like i said before i just i was really impressed with with bradley cooper's performance and um the representation of of kind of the music world and uh i just i just enjoyed this um you know it's obviously i'm not like jump from rooftops it's not my favorite movie of the year by any means and stuff like that but i have to appreciate a movie with some good music and uh like true musicians doing music for the movie like i gotta have respect for that so i'm right in line with you guys i'm also a b plus awesome um, all right. Well, as we kind of alluded to, we are not alone. Uh, this thing, this thing's doing pretty well. Last I checked, it has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, average rating 8 out of 10. Uh, people are loving the film. It's uh, It's got a cinema score of A, 
uh, pretty high and uh, critics definitely like it. And I think that, uh, as you mentioned, Will, it's going to have a lot of play in theaters and it's it's going to do well. It's probably going to hit about 30 million, um, could hit as high as 40, but uh, th- that might be a little generous uh, this for this uh, opening weekend. But either way, 30 million, very great number for a film that probably didn't cost all that much to make. Probably something like uh, the budget was probably about 30 million, 30 to 35, maybe. Yeah. It's a a rare studio mid-budget film. Right. Yeah. They definitely put uh, effort into it, I guess, is the takeaway from that and uh, definitely shows. So that's A Star is Born and it's now playing in theaters. We didn't mention Dave Chappelle is in this, but kind of a muted role. He doesn't do too much, but it's not bad. He wasn't in it as much as I was anticipating, but he did a good job. Uh, All right. Well, that'll do it for our double feature. Uh, And we're going to just air our interview now with uh, Joe Morton. He is the legendary film actor. He's also been uh, in theater, TV. Uh, You've seen this guy everywhere. He is uh, definitely a a veteran actor. And uh, we had, or I had, a very awesome conversation with him. We talked about his new show, God Friended Me, on CBS and uh, we might be able to talk about that on the show next week. We don't have time for mini reviews this week, though. But it's really fun. He talks about some of his favorite films and some films coming out that, you know, matter and are important. And uh, so let's listen to that now. So first of all, your new show is about to come out. Uh, a lot of people listening at this point uh, will have the chance to go check out God Friended Me. So in case somebody's listening who hasn't heard of this show yet, or maybe they heard of it and they don't know what it's about, can you just give us a really quick elevator pitch? You know, something that really lets people know what they're in for. Um, God Friended Me is a show that con- concerns itself with uh, social media. Uh, the idea that a atheist gets a friend suggestion on his Facebook page from an account called God that tasks him to go off and help other people in order to find the connection we all have with one another. That sounds uh, very interesting. It also sounds very scary to me as somebody who uses social media. So how do you hope that this show is going to come across then to people of different faiths and backgrounds? I understand the creators have different uh, backgrounds and faith as well. Absolutely. My hope is that what it'll do is It'll break down all those barriers, that it actually will so uh, will uh, expose the idea that if we help one another um, and we go around under or through the barriers that we think exist between one another, that what we'll discover is that we're actually all connected and that those connections get stronger and stronger the more we attempt to help one another. So it sounds then to me like you think it doesn't matter if you're an atheist, if you believe in any sort of religion, that you're still going to enjoy the show. Exactly right. You know, the thing that a a Christian, uh, a Jew, and an atheist have in common is that they all have a belief. I'm glad you brought up, too, uh, the fact that we we definitely live in divisive times. just sort of feels like everybody's at each other's throats. So so what do you think specifically a show like God Friended Me, what do you think it can say or or do in this current climate, considering just where the culture is at? Well, I mean, I think at least it can start a conversation. It can make people think wow, what would happen if I decided, instead of saying, let's build a wall and keep the Mexicans out, what would happen if I actually had a conversation with someone who needed a job, who was from south of California, and how can I help that person? Um, What do I have in common with that person? Maybe um, I have a job. Maybe I can help them get a green card. Or or if, if, like I say, if I'm a Christian and then you're an atheist, how can we talk to one another to understand how we both can coexist peacefully and and helpfully uh, in this world? 
that's interesting. So I want to hear then more about your your specific role in the show and, and maybe how that plays a part in that. So you play a reverend. Uh, you obviously, you know, a very different character than uh, Brandon Michael Hall's character. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that role, you know, the, the process of it and how, do, how does it fit into the overall story? Well, I mean, I think that, again, um, he's an atheist. I'm a minister. So that's the, uh, the obvious conflict. Um, so for those two characters, just on that subject alone, they need to figure out how to accept one another, not how to sort of battle with one another. Uh, when he was a young boy, his mother died in a horrible accident after he thought she was going to survive cancer. So he grew up thinking at first that God was cruel and then decided that God was not cruel, he just didn't exist. I, because of my wife's death, sort of retreated into the church in order to heal my wounds. And maybe what I did uh, um, was leave him a little bit out in the cold and didn't give him uh, enough attention in terms of his wounds, in terms of losing his mother. So it's, it's a father and son trying to reconcile really all of those very, very personal things that happen inside families. I love that. I think it really fits what you were saying earlier. They're they're kind of on equal ground, even though they're coming from from different places. So I, I hesitate to ask you this. I've, I've been following your career basically my entire life. Uh, you're a legend in my in my eyes in TV, film, theater. Um, so I hesitate to ask you if did anything really surprise you? You know, with this this new show, this new project was was there still new things that that you are learning today uh, with God Friend and Me. Well, I mean, most of my career has been um, uh, playing basically good guys other than uh, Rowan and and trying to figure out ways of presenting black male characters um, in very different sort of guises, if you will. Uh, and this is this is a, a, a kind of character I've never played before. I've never played a minister before. I've never sort of dealt with um, uh, a man who has his own church, a very, very large church with a very large congregation. So I began thinking, so what kind of indiv- individual is that? I mean, what's, what, if any, it, is that kind of ego? And, and, and are you allowed to have an ego if you're a minister? Um, so all of the above. I mean, I think that, you know, uh, it, it, those are the challenges that, that are presented to me as, uh, as this character that, you know, if I believe in God, and my son doesn't. Uh, do I start off thinking he's absolutely wrong, um, or do I have to think, well, wait a minute? Um, if the Bible sort of says we have to accept everyone, how do I do that with someone who has a completely different um, belief system than mine? Yeah, I can definitely see where a lot of people are going to find some relatability, no matter what they believe. And so I, I totally agree too. Going back to what you said about everyone has a belief. Uh, so I should say, you know, on Cinemaholics, we talk a lot about television basically every week, but we obviously focus on film. So I have to I have to know just a little bit more about where you're at with uh, the films of today. Uh, what are what are some of your favorite films that maybe have come out in the last year, 2018, maybe in the last couple of years that have stood out to you and maybe kind of fit this overall story that you're talking about? Well, I mean, I think, um, uh, you know what, it's the film that won Best Film last year, uh, not uh, La La Land, uh, Moonlight. Yes. Uh, you know, what was great about that is, you know, in, in the African-American community, being gay is not a very acceptable thing. Um, and to, and I thought that movie was enormously brave um, in terms of its subject matter uh, and in terms of the two gentlemen who were kind of the leads in that movie. Um, that really struck me. I, 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 I really loved that movie a lot. I loved 
um, Black Panther for lots of reasons. Purely from a mercenary stand standpoint, to have a black film that's that big, that made money, means other black films like that will be made. Because the myth has always been that we don't make that kind of money outside of the country. And that movie made a lot of money. Twelve Years a Slave, Selma, those, those, those kinds of movies in the last couple of years are the ones that, that have really sort of caught my attention and illustrate a kind of progress, racial progress, that uh, happened in this country. These are the kinds of films that were not uh, available for black actors when I was right. coming up. So it's good to see this kind of progress. All right. And I just, I just have one final question for you. Uh, I, I really want to know, you know, messages and, and morals. That's something that I, I clearly see in God friended me. So if there's one, one takeaway that you want people to get from your show, once, once they've really gotten into it, once they've seen it, uh, what, what's the one takeaway that you can just sum up for people? That whether you want to believe it or not, we are all connected. And that as one thing falls away, we all fall away. That that it's untrue that if something happens on the other side of the world to a particular individual, that it has no impact on you. All right. Uh, before we close out the show this week, uh, we are going, we're trying to figure out what to do for next week um, because we have another potential double feature. So the two big films coming out are First Man from Universal and Bad Times at the El Royale from 20th Century Fox. Now, First Man is kind of the, it's from Damien Chazelle, you know, Whiplash, La La Land. I mean, this guy is one of our, you know, up and coming directors in quite the big way. And uh, this is the Ryan Gosling film about Neil Armstrong. This is going to be competing with Bad Times at the El Royale, which is from Drew Goddard, who's like our genre filmmaker who is so beloved. I mean, Cabin in the Woods, Cloverfield, The Martian. I mean, this guy, he he's written these films, I should be clear. He's directed and written Bad Times at the El Royale. And uh, this one's Jeff Bridges is the main actor here. Cynthia Erivo, Dakota Johnson, John Hamm. I'm having a tough time. Will Ashen, what are we going to talk about next week? Now, we're going to leave it to the patrons. We're going to do a patron poll. If you want to see this as a double feature, what do we talk about first? But uh, where, where are you at at this point, Will? I mean, which film are you most looking forward to? Uh, I don't know. I'm really looking forward to both of them. Um, I see First Man on Tuesday, so I'll see that one first. And I guess technically, if I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to see Bad Times El Royale, so... Uh, I would, I'm championing both of them, but first man might be a little more convenient for me as far as scheduling. Right. Right. Well, definitely. I, I think in some way we got to talk about both of these films because I just think that they, uh, both look like they're worth our time, but I do expect the patrons to vote for goosebumps Two: haunted Halloween oh, yeah. from Sony. Um, that, that is coming out uh, as well. This is the sequel that I, I really have no interest in. I don't plan on checking this one out at all. Um, were you going to check it out? Will or? I didn't say no, <laughs> I'm not checking. <laughs> okay. One limited release though. I am interested in seeing is the oath. The, uh, from Ike Barinholtz, he directed, wrote and starred in it. Uh, Tiffany Haddish is in that one as well. I really want to see, it. I mean, Billy Magnuson is in it. John Cho. Uh, it's really great cast, kind of like a political Thanksgiving movie, but, uh, it's not a priority, but, uh, it's hitting kind of like a limited slash wide release because it's in like a thousand theaters. Um, and then Beautiful Boy is going to start rolling into theaters. This is the Amazon Studios film with uh, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Um, 
if you uh if for some reason you don't want to see first man you don't want to see the oath you don't want to see bad times at the el royale and you happen to have beautiful boy playing near you this one might be worth checking out all of the reviews i i don't think have they've been much more mixed than i personally anticipated um but uh kind of in line with the festival circuit so that's what's coming out next week uh once again we'll be putting out our patron poll shortly uh let us know what you want us to talk about uh, if you're a patron of Cinemaholics, or if you want to become a patron of Cinemaholics, check out our Patreon in the show notes. You can also find our uh, social pages, our Facebook and our Twitter. Uh, don't forget, if you love Cinemaholics, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you have any feedback for us, you want to hit us up, at uh, you can email us anytime, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And with that, that's it for us this week. From the Internet California, I'm John Agroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. And from the Broadband Basement, I'm Maverick Hines. See you next time.